Welcome to my podcast, my dad podcast. This is the 1787 Project, the podcast version of the lectures for my socially distanced class on the U.S. Constitution at the University of Missouri. I'm your professor and host, Justin Dyer. Who has the power to take the country to war? Congress or the president? Well, it takes two to tango, and it takes both to go to war. The president is the commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy. He's ultimately responsible for U.S. military operations, and the leaders of the uniformed services report to him. It's the president who makes the call on major military engagements and missions. He is, according to Article 2, in command of our armed forces. But according to Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, Congress has the power to raise revenue to provide for the common defense of the United States. Congress determines how that money will be spent, and it has the power to raise and support armies to provide and maintain a navy and to make the rules and regulations that will govern the armed forces. The UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice, is a law written and passed by Congress. Military courts are a creation of Congress. The decision to have an Army, Navy, Air Force, and most recently a Space Force is a decision made by Congress through its defense spending legislation. Until Congress acts, the United States military can't exist. And unless Congress continues to act through funding decisions and defense spending bills, the military won't continue to exist at all. If Congress wants to enact specific restrictions on how money is spent by the executive branch, it can. In 2015, for example, Congress put a provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that prevents the executive branch from spending any money to transfer prisoners currently detained at the U.S. naval base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to the United States for trial in civilian courts. One section heading in the bill declares a prohibition on the use of funds for transfer or release of individuals detained at United States Naval Station, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Congress can do a lot just by exercising the power of the purse. But there's one other congressional power listed in Article 1, Section 8 that's the subject of ongoing controversy right at the heart of the division of power between Congress and the president, and that's the power to declare war. Article 1 says Congress shall have the power to declare war. Does that mean the president can't take the country to war without Congress first voting to declare it? That's one way of reading Article 1. But another way of reading it is that Congress has the power to declare a state of affairs that already exists in fact. And declaring war would have some implications for international law, but a president doesn't need congressional authorization or a congressional declaration before taking the country to war, commanding United States armed forces to engage in any particular military operation. Our actual historical practice is somewhere in between these two views. By some counts, we've engaged in something like 100 different wars or international operations since the founding of the country. And Congress has declared war only five times. The last was in World War II. Since then, we've fought the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, and the War on Terror. We've conducted military operations in Lebanon, Bosnia, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Yemen, among other places. Some of those wars were authorized by congressional resolutions or United Nations resolutions or both, but none of them came with congressional declarations of war. As one example of a congressional authorization for war, consider the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution in 1964. We received reports of North Vietnamese ships launching torpedoes and opening fire on a U.S. destroyer in the Gulf of Tonkin just off the coast of Vietnam in the South China Sea. In response, 
Congress passed a resolution that said that Congress approves and supports the determination of the president as commander-in-chief to take all necessary measures to repel armed attack against the forces of the United States and to prevent further aggression. This was the authorization, such as it was, underlying the escalation of hostilities in Vietnam that lasted for another decade and led to the deaths of 58,220 military service men and women whose names are now memorialized on the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C. Toward the end of the Vietnam War, Congress passed the War Powers Resolution over the veto of then-President Richard Nixon. The stated purpose of the War Powers Resolution was to, quote, fulfill the intent of the framers of the Constitution of the United States and ensure that the collective judgment of both the Congress and the President will apply to the introduction of United States armed forces into hostilities or into situations where imminent involvement in hostilities is clearly indicated by the circumstances and at the continued use of such forces in hostilities or in such situations. According to the resolution, a president may only command the military to go into hostilities or in situations likely to involve hostilities in three circumstances. The first is when there's been a congressional declaration of war. The second is when Congress has provided statutory authorization for the use of force. And the third is a time of dire emergency to repel a direct attack on the United States. The resolution also says that the president will consult with Congress, quote, in every possible instance before hostilities start, and then we'll submit a report to the leaders of the House and the Senate within 48 hours of the start of any hostilities. If Congress doesn't specifically authorize hostilities within 60 days, then the president must remove U.S. armed forces from wherever they are. In practice, U.S. presidents generally think the War Powers Resolution is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court's never weighed in on it, and a lot of our major military operations have actually been authorized by Congress. After the attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, Congress passed the authorization for the use of military force, saying, quote, that the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons he determines, planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11, 2001, or harbored such organizations or persons in order to prevent any future acts of international terrorism against the United States. A year later, Congress then passed the authorization for the use of military force against Iraq, saying, quote, that the president is authorized to use the armed forces of the United States as he determines to be necessary and appropriate to, one, defend the national security of the United States against the continuing threat posed by Iraq, and two, to enforce all relevant United Nations Security Council resolutions regarding Iraq. Together, those two resolutions provided the basis for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the latter war now in its 19th year. But what about the fight against terrorist forces that have nothing to do with the attacks on September 11th and operate outside of the national boundaries of Iraq? This was the issue President Obama faced in 2011 with the rise of the so-called Islamic State, which held and controlled significant territory in neighboring Syria. President Obama drafted and asked for a congressional resolution authorizing the use of force against ISIS. The Republican-controlled Congress wouldn't pass the authorization, and then the president went forward in the fight against ISIS anyway, and President Trump's administration has continued those operations. Was the president authorized to do this? It's a core constitutional question, still unresolved in the subject of dispute. And it depends on how you read that one clause in Article 1, Section 8, saying that Congress has the power to declare war. Does that mean the president can't fight a war without a congressional declaration? Is a congressional authorization the constitutional equivalent of a declaration of war? 
Suppose Congress disagrees with the president's decision to go to war. What then? If the political question doctrine means anything, surely the decision to go to war is a political question, something clearly vested in the political departments of government. And so we shouldn't expect the Supreme Court to weigh in on this or try to sort it out. We're left with an unresolved constitutional conflict that must be mediated through the constitutional tools given to each branch. Congress, when it has a unified will, has powerful tools at its disposal. Without money, the military can't operate, and Congress can put specific restrictions on the use of money in its appropriations bills. With a two-thirds vote, it can override any presidential veto. But in an era of high partisanship and polarization in Congress, the president has the upper hand. And presidents of both parties have insisted and continue to behave as though a congressional declaration or authorization is nice if you can get it, but it's ultimately unnecessary for the president as commander-in-chief to command U.S. armed forces to engage in hostilities as he determines is necessary for the safety and security of the United States.